0: As a kid, on uh, Saturday mornings, I watched cartoons. That's what my brother and I did. It's the only time way back when dinosaurs roamed the earth that you could watch cartoons was Saturday mornings. And we watched Conjunction, Junction, What's Your Function? But we also got to see the League of Justice. The League of Justice had Batman. It had Superman. It had Wonder Woman. It had The Martian. Okay? It had Aquaman. It had... If you've ever heard me from time to time, and you will go, Wonder Twin powers, activate, form of ice. <laughs> the younger people, when I do that, they go, what is he doing? It's the League of Justice. It's the Wonder Twins, Pow! form of water. Occasionally, occasionally, I would play with my friends' superheroes. Didn't do this much, Mom, but occasionally. And the reason I didn't do it much is because we'd get into arguments. You know, uh... I shot your spider web, Spider Man. You can't destroy spider web. Yes I can. I have the laser beam eyes and the laser beam eyes eat spider web. No it doesn't. Yes it does. And so you could just never agree on which superpower trumped the other superpowers. It was hard. But you know, as a kid, as a kid there you didn't have limits. When you think about it, when you were a kid, when I was a kid watching League of Justice and thinking about my future, when you were a kid thinking about your, your future, you had no limits. And you didn't have a pecking order to things in life. You could be a ballerina, you could be a cop, you could be president of the United States. In your mind, no one job was more important than another. Even a garbage man. You were excited about it as a kid. Today I want to suggest to you that you are a superhero. You're like, what? Those of you over 40 are going, oh, buddy, man, I woke up this morning and my I was stiff and my elbow, I couldn't, I can barely hold this coffee cup. I could barely hold it. No, hang with me. Hang, hang with me. Have you ever wondered why super, we're so fascinated with superheroes? Have you ever wondered that? I have. I've wondered why. I've wondered why as kids we dream about having superpowers. And you know what I think it is? I think you and me, we don't want to be ordinary I don't think anybody who's sucking wind who's a human being wants to be ordinary. In the world of Harry Potter, for you Potter people, no one wants to be a muggle. (laughs) Come on. No one wants to be a muggle. No one wants to be ordinary. It's why some people will apologize when they have a fast food job. Well, you know, I'm, I'm really going to school, or I'm really... You know, what are you apologizing for? It's why some stay-at-home moms will apologize. Well, really, you know, I'm also coordinating for the Republican Party or the Democrat Party. You probably can't say the second one in this county, but in, you know, other counties you can. Uh, you know, and so they'll apologize. It's weird. It's why when I was a kid, in part... I had this bicycle with the handles that went up like this, and I put two flags. Because in fifth and sixth grade, I was going to be the president of the United States. All my classmates called me Mr. Prez. And so I'd drive around with my bicycle and my flags fluttering. In my brain, there were motorcycles in front. You know, it was the presidential motorcade. It's why mom's like... That's right, I had the seal... Sometimes it's good to have your mom around when you're preaching. (laughs) Okay? I had the seal on my door. It's why I hung on the words of professors and teachers that would say, Max, you're smart. Max, you're the best kid student we've had in 10 years. I'm really, really. It's why sometimes I feel threatened and I feel small when I'm near, when I'm around someone who, when they vacation, they vacation in Europe. They take flying lessons. They have Italian-made leather man bags. (laughs) That's an inside joke, by the way. <laughs> Today, I want to suggest to you that you are not ordinary, but it's not why you think, and it's not why you've, how you've been trying not to be ordinary. To do that, I'm going to have to talk about Batman and Superman, but before I get there, I've got to talk about three ways that you and I try not to be ordinary, three places we try to root our identity. Henry Nouwen who was a famous theologian and teacher and follower of Jesus, talked about these, he taught often about these three places we try and root our identity, these three places we try to avoid our ordinariness. And he said, your life, my life is like a line, all right? This is my life. My life began in 1968. Some of you, your life began a little before that. Some of you, you're like, man, that's forever ago, and your life is more further down the line. Let's say mine's going to go kaput at 2045. I'm just picking a number, but I get a line just like you do. Some lines are longer. Some lines are shorter, but everybody has one. And Henry Nowen said that over the course of this line, you are trying to figure out the answer to the question, who am I? And so we will go to three different places to try and answer that question. We'll go to three different places to try and say to ourselves and try and say to the world, I'm not ordinary. And one of the ways we'll do that is by what we do. Who are you? Well, I'm the vice president of sales. I'm the regional director. I am a professor. I'm a teacher. I make a six-figure income. We'll, we'll have all kinds, and, and if we have the right things and we're doing the right things and, and, the, and our, if we write a book and it's popular or we have a blog or a Twitter feed and we've got a gazillion followers, oh, whew, we're above the line. We're feeling like we're on cloud nine. It's awesome. But we have a job or a role that we don't think is all that. We only have three followers on Twitter. Boom. It's crushing. And so we try and root our identity in what, in what we do. Then there's another place that we go to try and root our identity, and it's what others say about us, what others say about us. And if, and if people are saying things like, oh, man, you're awesome. You're the best pastor I ever had. Really? We feel like we're above the line. But then all of a sudden you get a criticism at your job. All it takes, right, is one person at work, your boss, one person, one person at school to make one comment, and you're way down here having the stinkiest day ever. This this day stinks, and you're posting things on Facebook, trying, please, please make a deposit. My day stinks. Hello. Okay? (laughs) That's what we do. Okay? There's another, there's a third place that we go to try and root our identity, to try and convince ourselves and convince the world that we're not ordinary, and it's by what we have. And if we have a nice home, if we have a stable job, if we have a good family, if we have our health. We're above the line. It's great. Get a medical diagnosis, family member that's out of whack, a relationship in the family that's out of whack, all of a sudden we're down here. And Henry Nowen says, it's weird. We spend our whole lives trying to stay above the line, trying to get our worth, trying to get our identity from those three places. So much energy goes in to those three places and in trying to stay above the line. Jesus Knew better than that. Jesus was born to an unknown family. They weren't famous. Joseph and Mary were not famous people. He was the son of a common carpenter. He spent his childhood in Nazareth. You know, Nazareth, the one the Bible says, "Can anything good come out of Nazareth?" Nazareth. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of like saying, "I'm from Wilmore." Really, Wilmore? Can anything good come out of Wilmore? No, I'm just <laughs> okay. There was He had no formal education. There was nothing about his upbringing, nothing about his training that would have caused people to go, this boy's got potential. He better apply to Princeton. You better put this boy in the gifted class. That was Jesus' childhood. And when his time came to start his public ministry, he went to the Jordan to be baptized by John. And so in Matthew, Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, John records this, the other John, John the Apostle, is writing this. And he says in verse 16, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Jesus, this is who you are. This is who you are. You are a beloved son of your heavenly father. And when people want to follow you and when people want to reject you and when people are excited about you and when people spit on you, it doesn't matter because your identity is rooted in that relationship. It is secure in the fact that you are a beloved son of your heavenly father. Look at what happens after this miraculous pronouncement. That's chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. And during that time the devil came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Turn this stone into bread. Do something, Jesus. Do something. Use your power for your benefit. You're hungry, aren't you? You've been fasting for a while. Turn that stone into bread. Then a second second line from the devil, verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you're the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he'll order his angels to protect you and they'll hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not put the Lord your God to the test. Jump off. When people see that you have been miraculously held, you will create all kinds of buzz all throughout the area. You will be the go-to guy. You will start off this ministry. You will be catapulted. Your launch will be a successful launch. Don't you want buzz, Jesus? Verse 8, "'Next the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. I will give it all to you,' he said, "'if you'll kneel down and worship me.'" "'Get out of here, Satan,' Jesus told him. "'For the scriptures say, "'You must worship the Lord your God and serve only him.'" And then the devil went away and angels came And took care of Jesus. Bow down before me. Get power now. Without the cross, without suffering, you can have it all without death. If Jesus were here physically, I think he would say to you and me, that stuff from the devil, that's a lie. That's not who I am. I know who I am. I am a beloved son of my heavenly father. And I will not use my power or my status for my own benefit for these things. No, I know who I am. The brilliance of Henry Nouwen, uh, he made this conclusion. He said, what is said of Jesus in the scripture is now said of everyone who has been adopted into God's family. I have loved you with an everlasting love, Jeremiah 31 three. I knitted you together in your mother's womb, Psalm 139, 13. Jesus' identity was rooted in his status as a beloved son of his heavenly father, which brings me back to superheroes. I got to thank Ephraim Smith for turning me onto this. I, I researched superheroes for the last, I don't know how many weeks. I can't tell you how many people I've read about their theology of superheroes, but I'm going to give you mine today, okay? I want to talk about Batman. Batman is really Bruce Wayne. Bruce, when he was a little boy, saw his parents shot and killed by a random act of violence, and he was powerless to do anything about it. Bruce grows up a victim of the sins of of other people and a victim of his own pain and his own hurt and his own sense of abandonment on the inside. His anger about what was done to his parents took him to a dark abyss in which he dons a mask and hides behind it so no one will know the true Bruce, the wounded Bruce, the child who watched his parents get killed Bruce, the weak Bruce and he hides behind a mask. His costume is designed to instill fear in his enemies and terrify them. It's black, it's dark, it's impenetrable, and it's full of technology. Don't you want the bat belt? Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Underneath all of that, is a child who wants revenge. And what Bruce Wayne does under the cover of darkness in Gotham is to avenge the death of his parents. And it is done out of his wounding, and it is done out of that terrible, dark place in his heart. I did field research for this. Yesterday, I watched Batman Begins. Some of you are like, Max, can I get on your sermon research team? Yes, you can. We'll watch these things together. But I saw in Batman Begins, he goes in, Batman, he shows up in the apartment that's got the evidence that he needs, and the scarecrow and his thugs show up to torch the place. And he knocks one guy out, and he gets to the other guy, but scarecrow does, sprays a chemical, and his technology can't save him. And all of a sudden, he's hallucinating, and he can't, he doesn't know what's going on, and he stumbles, and he trips, and he falls out of the building in the rain. And do you know what he does when he's vulnerable, when he needs help? Who does he call? A 70-year-old butler. Alfred, Alfred. In the next scene, I see Batman in the back of a Rolls Royce, huddled up in a fetal position, and Alfred is driving the car with tears running down his eyes. The Alfred who said, I'm never going to give up on you, Bruce. I'm going to hold on to the day that you will be more than just a boy whose parents were murdered. That's Batman. Let me talk about Superman. Superman is really Kal-El from the planet Krypton. He's sent away from the planet to be spared its destruction. And when he arrives on earth, he's adopted by Jonathan and Martha Kent, good old American farm folks from Smallville, Kansas. And they take him in and they adopt him as though he's their very own son. And they love him from day one. And they teach him how to honor people. And they teach him the value of human life. And they teach him dignity, and they teach him humility. And they say to him, keep your power secret. We know you're special. We know you've come from another world. We know you're a citizen of another realm. But you've got to keep this stuff under wraps until you're mature enough, until you have the character to handle the power that you've been given. And so they let it cook. Superman, his costume has a giant S on the front which initially we think is for Superman, and then later on we find out, no, it's really the symbol of his family from Krypton. But he doesn't wear a mask. He displays his true self. Ephraim Smith put it this way five years ago in talking to a group of youth pastors. He said, Superman doesn't need a cape to fly. He could fly buck naked. Buck naked if he wanted to. There he goes. Look at that naked man going Mach (laughs) 5. Because his power is on the inside. His power is not from technology. It's not from a cape. It's not from a Kevlar outfit. It's who he is. Okay? Whereas Bruce covers his true identity under the bat mask. Superman covers his identity with nerd glasses and an everyday business suit. Superman's identity is secure because he is a beloved son and his power is from another world. So let me ask some questions. Who are you, really? Who are you? Do you hide behind a mask? Are you one of these fellas that's always in front of, of a screen, not really living life, because you're afraid? You're afraid maybe you don't have what it takes to do what it needs to be out there in life? Are you a woman that's always doing the, you know, I gotta have, I can never find the right outfit, and, and I'm just not the me I wanna be, and, you're, and so you put on this mask, literally and figuratively? Do you hide behind a mask? Are you trying to earn God's favor? Is there a part of you that's thinking, man, I'm gonna I'll do a stint at generations, I'll do the church thing, I'll do the God thing, and hopefully that'll make up from, from stuff in high school. It'll make up for some of the mistakes. Is that what you're trying to do in a relationship with God? Negotiate it somehow? Don't you know who you are? First John chapter 3, verse 1. John says something very powerful. He says, see how very much our father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. He calls us his children, and that is what we are. We who are born again are adopted sons and daughters. Right now, right now, born again Christian, God would say to you, you are enough. You are enough. I love you, and my love for you is not tied to your performance. It is not tied to what you do. It is not tied to what was done to you in the past that hurt you. My love comes from me and is a free gift of myself. Some of you would say, Well, Max, this is hard. I want to believe this. I've tried to believe this. You don't know. It's hard. Yeah, I know it's hard. Look, if 2,000 years ago, the devil went after a beloved son, the beloved son of God, if you are an adopted son and daughter, don't you think he's going to go after you? Don't you think he's going to try and get you to root your identity in what you do and then have all the ups and downs and roller coasters of it? Don't you think he's trying to get, have you root your identity in what other people say of you and then muster a sea of criticism? And have you drown under the weight of all those words? Of course he's going to try and do that. Well, how? How do I start to combat this? How do I start to, you know, embrace the super in me? Well, one, you got to read and digest God's word. And you're like, oh, come on, that's old-fashioned stuff. No, wait, wait. You got to read and digest God's word. There's no substitute for it. You know why we talk about this regularly? Because when you're reading what's in here, all of a sudden you are hearing God's thoughts and then you are thinking God's thoughts and the way God sees the world and the universe and the way God sees you is all of a sudden now in your mind and in your heart. You got to read and digest God's word and eventually you'll get to a point where what God says is more important than what everybody else says. Eventually, you'll get there, right? A second thing is memorizing some key scriptures. Like, what memorization? No, it's old-fashioned. No, it works. I'm telling you, when Jesus was confronted with the accuser, did he have a cape? Did he have a Kevlar vest? Did he have one of those magic ropes that pulled him out of there? How did he combat the devil? with phrases and key truths from the scripture that he had memorized. And when they came out of his mouth, they were a power that squashed his accuser. That's why it's important. Now, I want to say to you, if you've never been born again, if you don't know what that is, you will spend your whole life feeling condemned by God, feeling condemned by other people, and feeling condemned by yourself. That's why the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's why that's in the Bible, by the way. All right? No, I want to say to you today, there are no ordinary members of God's family. You are supers if you are an adopted son or daughter. And so I want to tell you a little bit about my wife's grandfather, Wally Thompson, I never got to meet Mr. Thompson. He died before Jenny and I started dating. He spent his life as a telephone repairman for Ma Bell. He could have allowed that to be the frame and root and foundation and and flow of his identity so that when people said to him, Wally, who are you? He would just say, well, I'm, I'm just a telephone repairman. That's who I am. But he didn't think that way. He didn't think of himself as a telephone repairman. He saw himself as a beloved son of a heavenly father. I heard stories about how once he talked a lady out of suicide, fixing her phone. He talked to all kinds of people about the goodness of God on a regular basis, just fixing their phones. He became a spiritual dad and grandfather to pastors who to this day have pictures of him in their offices, okay? Little old Wally Thompson. When he was too old to do some of those other things, he would actually make, this is, this dates me and dates him, okay? He would make cassette tapes so people could listen to this thing called the mini Bible college, and he would do this for hours at a time, make tapes, make tape, makes tapes, he helped that thing grow to the point where today it's in 26 different countries and 39 different languages. Wally Thompson knew who he was and he did not allow Mabel or other people to tell him who he was. And so all of the things that characterized his life those talking to people about the goodness of God, talking that lady out of taking her life, investing and in believing in pastors. Beyond this line, all of that stuff carried over into the next life. Didn't it? See, here's what Henry Nouwen would say to you and me. He, said, he would say, at the end of the line, at the end of the line, you can't do anymore. At the end of the line, it really doesn't matter what everybody said, does it? because you're dead or you're in the next life, okay? It doesn't matter. And what you have just went to somebody else. So at the end of the line, all of that stuff matters. You want this line to be leveraged for the next life. And the only way to do that is to know who you are and to be free of the up and down roller coaster and to have your identity firmly cemented as a beloved son or daughter of God. Because when that is cemented, who you are will then influence what you do how you treat people i mean it flows out of that that's why identity is so important churches all across america we focus on behavior 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 modification change this just get up and you know read the bible or or talk a little bit differently at, at work or treat you know we talk on behavior modification but if your identity is changed from the inside out it changes everything else and what i want for you is that kind of freedom. Because if you could see yourself the way God sees you, you would see the superness that he put in there, the eternity that he put in there, that he wants to draw out through the work of his Holy Spirit.